We have blood family and we have chosen family. And, you know, even in the culture of hospitality, you know, it's a very like communal culture and people who work all holiday long and stuff, you know, so you kind of find these little like sub hubs of maybe, you know, in in hospitality, it's like, that's your new family is basically like who you celebrate, you know, the holidays with after the shift is over or whatever. But we can also find that in our friendships. I think the deepest love you can have really like is rooted in friendship. Like a best friend, like there's, there's no deeper love. It's been about three years since my first sacred hunting experience. And I can still remember there's so many memories from that first trip that stay with me, that are engraved in my heart. The meaning of that trip, the men that were there, the animals that were sacrificed. And since then, my connection with the food that I eat, the food that I serve my family, how I take in that nourishment and aim to make my life better. And then ultimately all those that I serve in the world has just been incredibly and deeply impacted from that very first trip. And since then I've attended two other sacred hunting trips with Monsal Benton. And I'm very excited to share that I've just organized on February 29th through March 3rd, another private men's sacred hunt with Monsal out in Texas. And you know, whether it is looking to get a closer connection with the food that we eat or engaging in a rite of passage experience that is unlike anything else. It's a blend of modern and ancient wisdom in these hunts that Monsal guides. We do a sweat lodge. There's a ton of ritual, which is something that I feel is so lacking and needed in today's world. And I'm just continually blown away at how even from that first hunt, I still feel it. I still feel it in my heart, in my soul, and I'm just forever grateful for that experience, which is why at least once a year, I'm doing my part to take a group of men out to have this experience for themselves. And it's a small group experience. We will all be in it together, all grown together. And if it's something that you're interested in, I'm gonna include the link in the show notes. You'll be taken to the Sacred Hunting website and you can simply just apply there. You'll hop on a call with Monsel, and all you gotta do is just mention the hike with Mike on February 29th out in Austin, Texas. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Today on the show, we're joined by special guest and my wife, Lauren Rose Salemi. Lauren is a holistic health coach who has been a guest multiple times on the PATH podcast. And today we were most excited to go into the topic of navigating the holidays. More specifically, how to navigate the challenges that so many of us are likely to experience in some way, shape or form during the holidays. And how can we utilize some tips or insights or options to help us approach them with greater ease and grace. We go into many things such as alcohol, having challenging conversations, our relationship to food, working out or movement practice. So get ready for a fire episode. Let's go. When you and I were speaking about what did we feel inspired or what do we feel enlivened to discuss today? And it was really 
you and I have discussed the challenge, the, the challenges associated for many people, ourselves included in different respects with the holidays. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what we're going to dive into today is really how can we create hope for the holidays and give people some tools or maybe a perspective that, that we've learned or maybe that we're living or that we're seeing in order to help us navigate the seasons with grace. That's really mm-hmm. what I want to open up with today. So what is the first thing that comes up for you you know, when you and I were speaking about, not everybody has a greeting card Christmas or something like that. Yeah, like a Christmas card worthy Christmas experience. Yeah, the first thing that comes up with just that is the pressure and the expectation that um, we put on ourselves around this time of year. And also the projections and the experience of how we assume other people are are doing it and what they're experiencing. You know, it's especially in this age and culture of social media. And I think, you know, advertising companies and TV and television and movies have done this for a long time. But just that image of perfection is so in our face this time of year. Um, and I think just the longing for that Christmas card life. And, you know, I mean, we haven't gotten our... our together to even do like a family Christmas card but it's like that's what everyone's receiving is this like snapshot image and idea of how everyone else in some ways like has what maybe we don't or we don't feel really really connected to this time of year it kind of just puts in perspective like where we might be where we want to be um and maybe the gap between those two experiences and I know like what you said at the beginning of it is very alive in in everyone's heart. Someone they're experiencing obviously in their own way, but I've experienced with clients and friends and myself just this there's a lot of pain that's coming to the surface right now. Um, and I think challenges, you know, you can talk to the light side of the season. There's plenty of beautiful aspects, I think, and magic. And I don't want to like have this be a doomsday conversation around like all the things that are so hard. But I do think it's really important, especially, you know, to have this platform to like really speak truth and to, you know, give voice to and maybe like some support or, yeah, some guidance around how we've navigated some of those challenging things um, and how, you know, to speak to your audience around what they might be navigating as well. So I appreciate that very much. And when you were sharing, you know, I was really thinking about briefly started this conversation with uh, discussing family. And I've got, as you very well know, a very close knit family who is steeped in Italian culture and history. And, uh, not just Italian, but Sicilian. And so it's like a little niche within the niche. And so the the culture or the traditions are very strong. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of value in maintaining cultural traditions or a lot of these cultural loyalties. But also I think what I really want to invite in is all of us checking in with ourselves and the loyalty that many of us feel towards our family or towards Mm. these traditions or towards these cultures, but then really doing an honest check within ourselves and saying, how do those fit into 
What are our values today? What are the traditions that we want to uphold and continue? And what are those ones that we are just maintaining out of a sense of obligation to fit into the family? And so in a lot of what we're going to discuss, we're going to discuss a lot of the major challenges that we've experienced or we, we support others with. And then I really want to provide options or quote unquote solutions for ways to better navigate this, especially in light of the holidays being a time once again, where there tends to be so much loyalty to family Mm -hmm. and loyalty in my regard is, is like, there's many beautiful aspects of it, like trust, commitment, those sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then it's really checking back to, um, especially when it causes stress or especially when it causes kind of disharmony within ourselves. And if we're doing these these actions or these behaviors or maintaining certain aspects of traditions and they just don't feel aligned sure. with the people that we are. So in addition, one of the things that you were sharing that really brought up in terms of the pressure. Yeah. Now, I think I want to start here and, and I would just love, we'll just bounce back and forth. One of the biggest pressures, especially like when you see greeting cards or holiday cards, is oftentimes you see the tree, the Christmas tree, (laughs) and what's underneath the Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes a shit ton of presents. Mm -hmm. And right now we're watching Christmas movies at night. Uh, We were starting to watch the movie Spirited last night uh, with Will Ferrell and uh, Ryan Reynolds. We didn't get through much of it, but there's it's a whole musical. I'm usually not a fan of musicals, but that being said like these Christmas movies or a lot of these cards, there's presents everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so the pressure to uphold or the pressure to give gifts or give copious amounts of gifts uh, for our kids or for family members or for friends. And oftentimes gifts are expensive, Mm -hmm. especially if you've got a big family, like getting gifts and considering everyone. And inclusion, you know, if you get one person or whatever, it's like the the obligation of like, you know, being fair and generous to everyone. And yeah, if you have a family of 20 on your side or <laughs> maybe like 40 on your side, you know, extended and then that on mine, it's, you know, or whatever family dynamic it is like that, that adds up for sure. So with that being said, what comes up for you in, in ways that maybe if one, either that form of giving gifts doesn't feel aligned and authentic to the way that you'd like to move through the holidays, or if you are feeling financially and are financially trying to be more mindful or the finances are really tight, what suggestions or what options can you offer that might help someone navigate gift giving, presence, uh, and the idea of needing to uphold that to maintain this tradition around the holidays? Yeah. I'm still navigating that now um, around, I mean, I think both of us um, strive to be and and aspire to be, you know, generous people. I think generosity can look a lot of different ways and like it's up to us kind of like rewrite that patterning around what it means to be generous. I mean, you can be generous with your time and with your love and, you know, with your cooking or with, you know, there's a lot of intangible ways to be generous for sure. Um, But I think this time of year, we all at some point kind of fall into that consumption loop of what it means to give a gift, you know, and, um, and I've been navigating what that, what feels best because I mean, I think the, for the large majority ourselves included, I mean, it's, it's financially the, our economy right now is it, 
people are feeling it, you know, even from a food cost perspective, like when it comes to work and, and in our family, it's like $7 for two freaking cubes of butter, you know, it's like, that's insane. So I think that people really are feeling that extra pressure right now with gas prices and just the uncertainty of, of what we're moving into, um, globally and domestically, um, but when it comes back to like the family structure of like still the, that date's on the calendar and you know everyone's going to be in the same room on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve or whatever. And um, I've taken and we've taken because um, it is part of my love language. I, I try to speak all of them fluently, but I think gift giving is a really special thing, um, especially if you know like the the best gift to get somebody, you know, like there's a difference between getting something that you're really inspired to give and you're able to, to give and being like, okay, checking that person off the list, you know, and some people are harder to, to kind of give to because you either know them better or whatever. So, um, an approach I've taken the last few years is, you know, to have it be a handmade gift. And maybe I'm kind of the, the black sheep in that way, because, I, I don't know. I didn't speak to, you know, some family members around how it was received to get a, a fresh batch of bone broth and like a cutting board, you know, like that. Uh, I don't know how they experienced that. But to me, that felt like an extension of my heart and something that I was able to do in bulk that, um, you know, I didn't I wanted um, people to feel that they were thought of and considered and included. But we can't, we're not in the position to, you know go over the top with buying a lot of presents for everybody. So can you also share what you did the year before? And that bone broth, by the way, it was super well received. No. Uh, what was the gift the year before? You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh yeah. yeah. So, Which I thought was, uh, that was really rad. fun. And, and now like, you know, having a, a baby, um, my creative time is a little bit more limited for sure. Um, but I made, um, handmade Christmas ornaments for everybody. And that was really fun. Um, it takes time, but I think if you have a craft or like some way to to express yourself creatively um, this year, think about doing, yeah, a couple different things. But um, I think handmade gifts or, you know, edible gifts are received well. Um, even for your birthday last year, like we, you know, we were planning on our first wedding, um, you know, and there was a lot of expenses and stuff. So for your birthday, I... I asked all of your friends and loved ones to record just a minute or two mm. of, you know, what they appreciate about you, what they love about you. So you could quote unquote, open that on your birthday. And like, that was free, you know, and I, I mm. think it was received really well. And <laughs> so I think that's it's an opportunity for all of us to be creative with like, really like, I mean, yeah, I imagine if we all have a material object that we would love to open, but like what really hits the heart is what they say, you know, it's the thought that counts. And I really do believe that. So get creative. Yeah. Those gifts were so well received. And I'm just thinking about that birthday gift. That was like one of the most meaningful gifts, if not the most meaningful gifts I'd ever received for my birthday mm. to see such dear friends on there sharing their heart and what they appreciate. I was like, holy shit. Wow. Like my heart just blew wide open. Mm -hmm. And I didn't help you with uh, very much at all with the the food gifts that you had make made. 
maybe some packaging or something. Actually, definitely not packaging. I'm not good at that either. I'm trying to think, did I put the moss in the thing or something? In the You're ornament? pretty much like, that's a great idea, babe. Full that's support. Great, full, yeah, it's usually when I say full support. And she's like, well, what does this full support mean? I'm like, go. But it also could be a time where, you know, if you've got a partner or a friend and you guys want to make them together mm. uh, and, and create those gifts together. So not only is it, you know, something from the heart, but it's something that also carries the joy within the relationship as well or can. Mm. And also too, you know, when you were sharing about the birthday gift uh, in regards to the holidays, you know, if I got uh, a Christmas card, no money needed. Mm. If I got a Christmas card where someone really wrote and spent time on writing something meaningful and was present and either reflected on the relationship or something that they appreciate, like even a very thoughtful card, Mm-hmm. For me, I would keep that on my desk for a long time yeah. uh, and look at that. And so it's certainly... You go old school too. You could do like a playlist or something or like oh. what, are, what we used to do when we were in teenagers, like, you know, burn a, burn a DVD burn or a CD. CD. Oh, I mean, like that hits still. Like some things like you can bring back. Yeah, I love that idea. In addition to that, you know what I'm thinking and not to make it a big deal, but these are again, just offering suggestions and... And, you know, just coming to, you can certainly come to an agreement if you're in a partnership or in an agreement with the family. Like, for example, I've got a client and his family, I think he's got four kids. Yeah, he's got four kids. And they've agreed that this year as if, no, he asked them, what do you guys want this year for Christmas or the holidays? He's like, do you want gifts or do you want experiences? He said, experiences. He said, okay. So now they've taken it upon themselves to once a month, they're taking a trip, whether that's even just a half day trip to, I don't know, go hiking somewhere or maybe a larger trip once a quarter or once a year where they're getting on a plane. But the kids chose the experience. And I thought that was fantastic. And it doesn't, it can be, look whatever it needs to look like or you mm-hmm. want it to look like. And so it could be an experience. And then also even calling up family members, like for example, you know, I could call my mom before Christmas and like, Hey mom, you know, this is the plan this year for how we're going to be able to contribute gifts or what we're thinking about doing. I just wanted to let you know and keep them in the loop. So you can certainly make an agreement that you and your partner or you uphold and then you can feel free to include that with the family and let them know ahead of time. And so uh, just to manage some of that Mm. anticipation or some of that stress. Um, And then also too, when you were, I think also finding the right gift or the appropriate gift for someone can be really hard. You Mm. and I were talking about how hard it is to shop for men or like dads. It's like socks, shirt, and a belt are like the three things. Or chef's knife. That's always what I That always works well. But (laughs) even during the year, you can during the year, if you find someone that you Mm. really, you come across something that you really know, it's like, oh, that person would love that. You could buy it then Mm -hmm. or it's on discount and then save it uh, for the appropriate time. Um, I mean, we could keep going in terms of things like I'm thinking about even for Luca, like instead of buying a shit ton of gifts, if we do find a few, we could get it and then also kind of drip it, like yeah. drip it maybe a month later, three months later, as opposed to having 60 gifts. Right. Or... Because I mean, like the dopamine hit from like opening one present, it's like, what do they say? Like every slice of pizza after that first bite, it's like, it's like, especially with a kid's psychology, I mean, they're overstimulated and they don't even, they just want like something new and you forget what former gift you just opened, you know? So with kids, especially... I think less is more to a degree and also kind of an irony to that 
um, my my parents have always said like, oh, like Christmas is about the kids. Like, don't get me anything. I don't want anything, blah, blah, blah. And I think too, like, you know, it is a time for, I think that it's really special for kids and you can kind of go into how you want to raise your kids around what you really value. You know, I love that your client um, had that conversation with them and like teaching them something in that question too of, you know, not just getting you something to get you something, but it's like, what can we all experience together as a family? Like what an enriching experience to do something fun and to let, you know, that costs like that takes resources as well, you know, depending on what you're doing, like a family vacation, it's no inexpensive thing, but, um, I think you can get really creative with that and, um, yeah, just prioritize. And there's one, one other idea that I've seen that I haven't tried, but, um, you know, with uh, in a family with more adults and stuff, it's like you do like the the secret Santa thing, where it's like everyone gets one gift. Oh yeah, everyone pulls a name, and like you have an idea of what they're into, and they can, you can get a, a larger gift because you're only getting one. Uh, then everyone gets one really cool thing. That's you know? dope. So that would be maybe fun for us to explore one year. I love that. And let's stay on the theme of kids uh, for a little bit longer. And then there's so many things we're going to dive into for sure today. But on the theme of of kids, one of the most challenging things being a new parent and also working with clients who have kids is how to navigate food choices and food around the holiday. Mm. So for example, to kind of preface this, like let's just say at home, you do your best to, you know, eat well or you have a specific dietary choice or you buy certain foods and then you go to a family event or these holidays back to back. I mean, not only the major holidays, at least in the U.S., Thanksgiving and then whether you celebrate Hanukkah, Christmas, you know, you got New Year's, Christmas Eve, all those holidays. And then also if you attend Friendsgivings or other holiday engagements, so there, there, there's the business and at parties. school or at like school. wherever, yeah. Holy shit. So there's there's a lot of gatherings. And so there's a lot of areas and, and I've seen and can, can totally uh, imagine and also anticipate the challenge it is, is upholding the, what the preferences, the choices that are established at home. And what can you offer in terms of suggestion-wise on how someone might be able to approach their family or some of these situations where it can be pretty contentious and obviously everyone in the family just wants the best mm-hmm. and wants to celebrate with with sometimes, you know, cakes and all all that stuff, pizzas, cakes, whatever. How do you navigate family or some of these environments in relation to food and kids? Well, kids specifically, I mean, I think that's a whole conversation for how to, I don't know which one's better to start with, like how to navigate that with yourself, (laughs) you know, because first, like we have to assume that, you know, adults are going through very similar challenges around like Mm. being around all this temptation, all of this, you know, refined sugar and sweets and, um, you know, maybe not the healthiest choices or choices that work best with, with their body, but with kids, it's, it's another layer, but you know, sometimes we're easy, it's easier to kind of quote unquote control, um, a child as opposed to like ourselves. Like, I don't know, but with kids specifically, <laughs> like, you know, it's like grandpa and grandma or, you know, they want to like getting the kids, you know, good light, you know, and sharing sweets and treats and all that. Like, it's very easy to, you know, kind of be the treat giver there. And I can see, I have like compassion for that for sure, because yeah, I, I mean, it just makes sense that like 
kids will eventually have some sugar, right? But like, I think, especially right now with where Luca is, for example, like he's never had that. So um, how we navigate that in the future might be a little different than right now. But I think one of the most important things is to like, one, be clear in your communication as the parent, you know, to the caregiver or the person that's going to be around of like what your values really are. Like, so it's clearly expressed that like, you know, look, like we really... Luca isn't having any sugar yet, like point blank, you know, like that's a choice that we've agreed on as, as a family. And, um, we'd really make the request of honoring that decision and those values and also like setting them up for success of like, okay, well, if, if, you know, sugar isn't on the table, then can you provide as the parent, like an alternative that like is within your values, you know? So I I don't think it's fair to impose all these restrictions without providing a solution to the family member or the school or whatever it is. It's like, that doesn't put anybody in a good situation, you know? Can you give an example of that? Yeah. I mean, I like same thing with when um, one of our parents watches Luca, you know, Um, if he's not having breast milk that I sent, then I, I, provide or we provide like food choices that we're want him to eat you know so Mm. it's like um and if that's a treat for him then it's like okay like a banana and his age that's an appropriate swap you know maybe like you know an eight-year-old isn't like oh great i have a flipping banana instead of a piece of cake but like I think that there are, especially nowadays with food choices there's so many alternatives and there are healthy healthy um options um or healthier options so um, I think equipping them um, with with something is is really important, um, and not just to like put the the shame and the guilt onto them. Without you know, it's hard to like chase around like a little kid all day. Like I, like our parents are you know you know they're not old by any means, but it gets harder and harder. So the more thing or like offering them an iPad, like it doesn't have to be like a food thing, but like what is like a solution for that challenge that you know is going to come up. I think it's better to anticipate that and to especially provide like clear values, you know, like nobody's perfect. Like if something happens then it happens, but like, I don't think it's fair to impose that restriction without um, clearly expressing your, your desire and setting them up for success and yourself too. Like if, if that's like something really challenged by like, you know, if sweets are your are your, you know, Achilles heel or whatever. Um, maybe you can offer to provide the dessert to the dinner party and you can make a healthier version or something that is tolerable to your to your diet. Um, then you you not just, I, I mean, I was raised very like to not be needy, especially in someone else's home. So I think like, you know, over the years of developing these um, preferences and dietary um you know, boundaries. Um, it's, it's never fun to like go and go into someone else's home and demand special treatment. Like no, that, yeah. that, that doesn't feel good to anybody. Um, and it doesn't feel good to just not eat cause that can be, you know, somewhat, um, disrespectful in my opinion as well. So it's like, what's, where's the solution there? It's like, well, I can, I can bring this or you can discreetly just have something on hand, you know, that does work for you. And then, um, yeah, so I would suggest that for sure. Yeah, and I think what we're discussing right now is is when it really becomes a breach of the agreements and the values within the home. You know, if it's once in a while thing, like 
uh, yeah, it's totally okay. But we're talking about things where, like right now for us within our values, at Luca's well under a year old, like sugars, no. Like refined, yeah. it's just a no. Not saying you won't have that in the future, but at this point, our values as a team and our agreed mm-hmm. values and the values we've established as a family, it's a no. Mm-hmm. And that's a clear no. And so it's not like uh, once in a while, grandpa takes him for ice cream. Like, yeah, that's that's fine. But at this point in time, that's a no. Sure. So I think one of the biggest things is really establishing the values within the family coming to that an agreement within the relationship and then communicating that agreement and like what you're saying is also setting them up for success. And so the big, I think the biggest thing is to stay a team on this. Yeah. Is to have your partners, your wife, your whatever it is, have her, his or her back. And I don't waver on that. Mm. And if there is wavering at the event, it needs to be a communicated thing, I would pull you aside and be like, hey, look, this is the situation. Are you okay with this uh, mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z? And if you told me no, I'd say, fuck that. Okay, mm-hmm. no, it's a no. You know, we've already had this agreement. We've discussed the opportunity for a compromise in light of the whatever is about to happen or might happen. Uh, and I would have your back. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, and that's why these things, these they, you can be seen as tests, not only for, they will test the relationship, they will test the communication, the trust. Mm-hmm. And if and when I see you showing up and uh, not necessarily defending, but yeah, just having my back, I guess you could say if, if uh, food choices came up, that would speak volumes to me. I'd be like, she fucking's honoring the agreements. There's a level of trust, integrity. Mm-hmm. And I would feel really good about that as opposed to you making a decision on our behalf after mm-hmm. stated agreements and with no discussion around that. So I think holding that energy of team yeah. is super important in regards to this. And I think it's also important from the child's perspective as well, like the consistency and like, more so than anything, like what they will remember outside of that lollipop, maybe a couple of days later is like, did I experience my mom and dad being like aligned in mm. their communication? Because I think kids are very intelligent. And like when they see that wavering of like, oh, who's the weak spot here? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or, or when, you know, parents say like, go ask your father or go ask your mom. It's like, <laughs> You, you kind of need to, as adults, as the parents, you, I mean, hopefully you'll be one step ahead of them. It's like, we've already had this conversation. You know, we, we are clear on our values around certain, certain topics. So yeah. it's like, we can be consistent in how we communicate that to, you know, our family members or our children. Yeah. Because you see, you see how they like wedge in there and they're like, okay, like I'm running this ship, you know? Um, but I think the consistency and the communication um, and always being and on the aligned front with your partner yeah. when you have children is so important. And we haven't necessarily traversed that testing stage with Luca yet, but like I've witnessed that a lot in um, other children that I've, I've witnessed, you know, and it's, um, they're, they're tricky. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think like what, what we were discussing with Luca around the sugar, like in this point in time, we will reevaluate. But in this port of time, that's a hard no. And if it was, I think the important thing, what we're getting to is the agreement. And if there's room for compromise or there's like just understanding what's a clear no, what are the hell yeses? And then what are the gray areas and reevaluating as different phases come up? Mm-hmm. And now sticking with this, this topic of food, man, one of the things around the holidays that's so common, and I, and I have to admit sometimes I'm, I'm quote unquote guilty of this, is I will not eat all day. 
And then all of a sudden, I'll have three plates of food for Thanksgiving. Uh, and I think a <laughs> that lot was your first like that was my first Thanksgiving ultra American Thanksgiving though. So we'll give you a little pass. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like so, three. <laughs> but but the the what I want to get to ultimately is this idea that many people carry around the all or nothing. Yeah. I'm going to starve myself so that I can. And later we're going to discuss working out as well, but I have to earn my food or because I'm going to, you know, eat like shit that night or I'm going to eat way over in abundance, then I'm going to starve myself before. Uh, what has been either your experience with that and or just this concept of like the all or nothing when it relates to food in the holidays? Yeah, I think that that's something I've heard super commonly or just witnessed, you know, it's like, earning our calories, earning our food, period. It's like, that's a deep story. I mean, that's some pretty deep self-punishment, I think, if if we have to earn the right to nourish ourselves, you know? Or, you know, in hindsight, if we're not eating very healthy things, it's like, it's a different form of punishment. It's like, first, I'm going to punish myself in the gym. And then I'm going to punish myself subconsciously by eating foods that make me feel like like shit. So then I can sit in the post eating that mm. stuff, shame and guilt and regret. And then I can punish myself again by going back to the gym because how could I do such a thing? Um, I think the energy around not only what we eat, but how we eat. We've talked about that, I think a little bit before the environment of, um, and the energy, like you're saying, the all or nothing, like how I'd be curious, like how else in life you live that way, you know, where it's like there's no margin mm. for self-compassion or a little bit of release. And I think that there's tendencies with personalities or with just lifestyle choices to be like you're either on the horse or you're off and there's no in between, you know, and if you fall off the horse, then there's no point in getting back up. At least right now, I'm going to continue to binge and like keep hating myself for it. You know, I think there's a lot of psychology underneath all that. And fortunately or not, I would say my personal experience with the all or nothing has kind of been like more in the indulgent all. Um, but I've also like learned how <laughs> to, you know, to a degree like make choices that don't make me feel like, like shit, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean that I think that people who are intolerant to gluten should, should reach for, for gluten and, and feel good about themselves for doing that. If you don't tolerate something, then that's not being loving to your body to, to reach for it. Even if it's just like a pass for a day, um, you're going to have some level of shouldn't have done that. You know, like you, you kind of got to follow your own, inner knowing about some of these things, but I don't think it's any more healthy to, to do the former, which is just like the self-punishment, the shame, the guilt, like this repetitive cycle mentally around like that you're a, a horrible fat person that like, you know, doesn't deserve to find some pleasure in these celebrations. Like this is ultimately like how like, I think I have a really healthy relationship with celebration. Fortunately, that's a big part of my life and it has been for a long time. Um, so I don't necessarily attach the guilt and the shame around some of those celebratory, pleasurable experiences. But many, many people aren't in that place yet. You know what I mean? So their relationship with celebration is, is skewed. And um, I think society at large 
we celebrate by these treat days or, you know, like, you know, you celebrate by going out and getting wasted or getting drunk. The biggest thing is for me in hearing what you were sharing is the language and how we relate to ourselves around food. And Mm -hmm. I was even being mindful as I was sharing with, you know, I'm guilty of sometimes fasting and having those meals. That is true. And I didn't feel guilty at all about it. Mm -hmm. That's been a long journey for me. Mm -hmm. But I had no guilt, no shame. I was like, fucking, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And so I really think also when it comes to the earning the calories or the extreme rigidity or earning, we have to be just really realistic. Like, yo, one night, or two nights of eating some pie and and going big, it's not going to derail you again mm-hmm. unless you have a, a you're, you have a strict food allergy mm-hmm. or a really thick you know big intolerance. Then make that conscious decision, but recognize like you're not going to derail yourself like crazy by allowing yourself to enjoy yourself. And in fact, there's so many benefits of the community, the joy, the play. Sure. Italian specifically, like in you, we share love with food. Yeah, and so. I, I think it's just really important to anchor in. It's almost less about the food that's being eaten uh, and more about how we experience ourselves in relation to that food and in relation to allowing ourselves to enjoy some pie. Yeah. Or and what, I think that boils down to our relationship with pleasure in general, like our ability to receive that. Um And like, you know, to push back a little bit, like just to play devil's advocate that you've you know, played many times, I would say like around and maybe, maybe the most loving thing is to uphold your boundary, you know, like it depends on the person and where they're at and their like health journey. Because if you just started a month ago, this like, you know, commitment to yourself, like you've noticed these patterns and you're like, I am not doing that this year. Then maybe that is like up voicing that boundary, upholding that and like holding yourself to it. Like, I think that's that's the higher form of self-love to that person. But there's also the, like after years and years of like saying no to yourself, saying no to your family. Thousands of no's. Right. So many no's. Thousands it's like, what is that no's. all about? Really? <laughs> so many <laughs> Thousands no's. Thousands of no's. So, I mean, I think it depends, like everything, it should be personalized to, to that person and what's real for them. But mm. I think getting curious about your relationship with pleasure, with receiving, with, um, you know, just lightening up. Yeah, a little bit. Like, what's in that space? What could that feel like to, you know, experience food at that level or family at that level or to just be like, yeah, mom, like, I can't wait to try your pie, even though, you know. So I think it can go both ways. I totally agree. And just another maybe practical uh, suggestion is if you know you're going to go somewhere and you have the likelihood of binging out and that's not something I don't think any of us like, well, maybe some of us do have the intention of we're going to fucking go ham and binge out. So, but what I'm really trying to say is you can, like I used to do this for years, years, even if I knew I was going to go to a family event and eat some stuff, uh, I would usually have a meal or a shake or have some healthy fats before I would go to stabilize my blood sugar. And so just go, because recognizing that, you know, especially if there's alcohol involved, which, you know, if if we've got time, we'll definitely dive into on, on today's show. But, you know, if you know that typically holidays, 
I mean, there's definitely oftentimes proteins as well, but there's a lot of sweets, a lot of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you're drinking right when you arrive mm-hmm. and there's, you know, you're having breads. And so it's just a disaster for blood sugar, mm-hmm. which in and of itself, <laughs> that dysregulation is going to lead to our our eyes being larger than our bellies. And our emotional eating yeah. to like, I mean, this is so much a psychology conversation and like, I mean, of course, all these things overlap the mental, the physical, the emotional, um, but how to set yourself up for success with just your basic physiology, like what works to balance that. Like if I don't have a balanced blood sugar, then my emotions aren't going to be in balance. You know, like I'm going to be much quicker to react versus respond. I'm going to be much quicker to reach for whatever's there first, you know, um, just from basic, like you're in a survival state, you're, you're starving, you know? So you're like, I need a fix. And especially, I think it's important to really talk about alcohol because that is the golden child of this holiday, that and candy. So sugar and alcohol are basically the flagship products of this season. And, um, and I imagine substance abuse in general because that acts as a numbing agent to all these big challenging feelings and and um, things that come up in a family dynamic. Before we dive into alcohol, because that's a really, again, big one, uh, I just want to finish one more thought with you around, you know, we talked a little bit about food and the all or nothing and then now movement mm-hmm. as well. Because, right, like most people who are doing some type of fitness plan will crush themselves the day after Thanksgiving or around Christmas the day before. And it's that same, it's the same all or nothing that I have to earn these, this food, or I have to earn these calories, earn these carbs. So I'm going to crush myself. So um, what suggestions can you provide to bring a little bit of balance around movement around the holidays? Yeah, I would love for you to speak to this as the amazing movement coach that you oh, are. Oh, thank you. But, um, <laughs> but I think it's a very approachable thing. I mean, it's kind of nice. I think, for example, like a group fitness class, if you, if you are that person that's motivated and excited to go to a class or, um, you know, work out before a family event, I think that can have like a ripple effect of benefit. Cause not only do you get some potentially solitude time, like to like clear your head to maybe like mentally prepare for, a group or family gathering, but you also like get those endorphins up. And I I mean, I always loved going to a class. I did feel better. You know, maybe it's not just like, okay, now I earned my pie. It was just like, I feel more like I filled my own cup so that now I can be more available for the group Mm. setting. Because a lot of another challenge of this season is like social anxiety. And like people don't necessarily feel most comfortable with themselves and like group conversations or like small talk or whatever it is. So to have that practice with yourself of movement before, I think can do a world of benefit. And then afterwards, I think the healthiest thing anybody can do any day, especially after a big meal is like go for a walk. Like it's so important for our blood sugar, for our metabolism, for um, our body to just just walk it off, you know? And that can be, especially when all your friends and family are in town, like what a beautiful way to decompress and to um, digest. And um, so I would say if if you're uh, motivated enough to work out beforehand, like 
to do that with a different psychology, with a different mentality, not to like earn something, but to just like really fill your cup. And then afterwards to really encourage yourself to walk off that buzz or, you know, walk off that big meal. You took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for letting Uh, me start. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I just love and appreciate about you is how you have invited in more pleasure in my life. And I think you gave voice to this. That's something that maybe you lead with. Mm. And I lead more with the... um, Restraint. Restraint. Not that you're not disciplined, but I definitely lead with the discipline and Mm -hmm. just have 20 years of competing and being very regimented in that regard. And so I just really... Because even how you started off that, it's... uh, it's not my go-to line of thinking. And so I really appreciate that. And that's one thing just not to make a sidebar too much, but that's really what, you know, you and I were talking as well. Like the men's work that I lead is really powerful and it's amazing. And a lot of the men's work is to support men in showing up fully in relationship. There's no greater teacher yeah. Than in relationship, you the mirror is very clear when you're in relationship. Then you're in relationship, and if you choose to have kids, like I'm finding, it's even more. Um, and so, I've just learned a lot from being your husband and being your partner. And so, I just really appreciate that about you, and just inviting that into this conversation as well. Mm, thanks, babe. Yeah. In terms of, so you you discussed any type of working in, I think the way that I would approach this just to Mm. give some options or some some thoughts around it prior to the meal, prior to the festivity, I am more for doing a uh, challenging workout. Mm -hmm. That that would be the time before to do it, especially with friends, like doing a holiday workout before uh, getting together, getting the vibe going. Uh, But again, just being mindful of, that's a very different energy than doing that. And then I'm doing it because... I need to earn this shit later. It's like, yeah. no, 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 no. It's doing it for fun to push and and for, for the love of training. Yeah. Uh, and then immediately after, definitely any type of working in, walking would be the best thing you can do to increase parasympathetic activity, to improve digestion, um, to just help yourself level out and stabilize yeah. so you don't go to sleep on a on a belly full of sugar and then you got the the sugar sweats at night. And alcohol. And alcohol <laughs> and then you're dehydrated. So yeah. I would hydrate the hell out of yourself mm-hmm. uh, before, during, and after any of these events. Throw some electrolyte salt in there. Just get some high quality sea salt. Throw it in. Mm-hmm. Um, Bone broth before alcohol is super, super helpful. Oh, that's fantastic. Between just the protein in it and the digestibility and then more importantly, the fat. Mm-hmm. Like that could be a great thing before. So, but in regards to training, I would say do whatever you normally would do. Don't do anything unless you really want to anything crazy. Like just do your normal thing. Yeah. Afterwards working in. And then what I would be mindful of is in the days after specifically, especially three days, even up to two weeks or more, if you are going to be eating a lot of foods that inflame you, right? Like many of us do over these holidays, then just have it be a conscious decision because if you're eating inflammatory foods or you're really bloated, you're holding a lot of water, you're not going to be able to stabilize Mm. your spine as well. 
Like your inner unit is going to be turned off or down-regulated. So I just wouldn't recommend the next day going to some like crazy CrossFit or Olympic lifting workout or scale down the complexity of the movement, scale down the load, still move. It's important to move every day, but recognize that if you're trying to go into explosive movements, power movements, sprinting. Barry's boot camp. Barry's boot camp. The (laughs) next day after you're your, you know, your just core is not going to be nearly engaged. So your risk of injury is going to go up. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was uh, competing and this was when I was doing one-on-one coaching with Paul and I was traveling for work to Italy and it was in a competition cycle. So we were trying to figure out like one, I wasn't going to get access to kettlebells where we were traveling, me and my dad. And, uh, and I was gonna be staying in hotels and the food obviously in Italy is really good, but you're going to long business dinners and, you know, you're eating, you're in the company of others. So it's kind of in the the context of our conversation. And he just told me straight up, he goes, just recognize that if you do eat a ton of desserts after every meal and you do have gluten and we already know you're sensitive, just recognize it's going to take you multiple days, if not Mm. weeks, depending on you're gone for two weeks. And if every night you do this, it might like force us or compel us to not compete in the competition next mm. and postpone that. And that's just a, a decision that, you know, being a conscious person, yeah. but also in maturity, yeah. just recognizing there the consequences. are consequences. Like I like what you were saying earlier around the consequences to our physiology. Mm-hmm. So just recognize that and then scale back, reduce complexity, still move, but modify your training. So it's a little bit more conducive if you feel again like you're you're taking kind of you're you're feeling uh, sluggish. Your coordination's not there. Your recruitment's not there of your core. So just be mindful around that. I think that's so important, and I hadn't thought about that until you brought it up. But really, like, yeah, there's like the the obstacle of before the event, and then there's the oftentimes much more loaded in shame and guilt post event experience. And I think that like. I would just be curious to like if if you are that person that got drunk and is hungover, like what's what's the best physical approach from there? Like, is that not a time to train at all or outside of just like what you said, the regenerative um, working in post hangover, for example, because I think people will be experiencing that. Like what's the best thing to do outside? I would just imagine like a walk or something very low impact. Yeah, I would do working in. And if someone's not familiar with that concept, just very simply a working in exercise or activity, it can be anything. Anything can be a working in exercise. It's an energy cultivating activity. Working out are energy expenditure activities. So what Lauren was saying earlier about walking, you don't want to sweat your tongue should stay moist, your heart rate shouldn't elevate, your respiratory rate shouldn't elevate, and you should be able to do it on a full belly and it should feel after a certain amount of time like you're improving your digestion. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing working in exercises, you always breathe through your nose and then you synchronize the movement with the breath. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if you were doing a breathing squat, if you're walking, you just breathe normally slowly through your nose. But if you're doing a bodyweight squat, you exhale as you go down, you inhale as you come up. If it takes you three seconds to go down, you're exhaling for three seconds. If it takes you three seconds to come up, you're inhaling. And the last thing I'll say just for context on that is the slower you go, the faster energy flows. Mm -hmm. So it's an active meditation. So hands down, if someone's in that position, they're hungover, they're feeling like shit, anything that you can do to turn up or upregulate 
the recovery faculties, the parasympathetic parasympathetic activities within the body, 100%, that would be my goal or my my suggestion. And then hydrate. Right. Hydrate, nourishing foods, gentle restorative movements. Question. So what about a sauna the next oh, day, first thing? That's a phenomenal idea. Uh, I love that for detox. Hydrated sauna. <laughs> yeah, I mean, go in hydrated. Don't, you know, I would say give yourself, you know, with hydration, I have to think back to Dr. Givoyer's recommendation, but typically, typically before sauna, I think it's like you don't want to necessarily drink, don't quote me on this, but like definitely food a few hours before, two, three hours before, something like that. Uh, and then water like an hour before, because you want to be sweating out the water that you have inside you. You don't necessarily want to be, if you just... Even if, I, if you're hungover and like dehydrated already? Uh... That's a question, like completely like... That's a good question. I would probably say, oh, maybe I'll be a little bit more flexible in that regard, but I would definitely recommend, I mean, just that night, mm -hmm. I mean, before, I mean, yeah. we're calling it How out we right go now. to sleep too, so, I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, before, during, and after. Yeah. You're still probably going to be dehydrated, but mm -hmm. before, during, and after, hydrate with good salt. First thing when you wake up, multiple cups. Mm -hmm. And then give it an hour or two. And I would, yeah, I think you're totally fine actually not drinking for an hour, going in the sauna for 30 minutes, coming out, giving yourself a little bit of time, 20, 30 minutes to keep sweating, mm -hmm. and then drink again water with electrolytes. I think that's still fine. I love that. I'm really actually grateful that you mentioned that. I think that would be phenomenal. And since we're now on the topic of alcohol, Let's talk about alcohol mm. in the holidays. During the holidays, we've talked about now just how to kind of regulate from a, a little bit from a dietary perspective and kind of nutritional perspective and detox and working out. But let's talk about some of the challenges and the realities of alcohol in the family mm. or in the nature of the holiday seasons. What comes up? Yeah, I have a, I mean, I think we all have our own relationship with alcohol and substances. Um, alcohol, I'll speak from my own perspective, has never been a, a love of mine. Um, I've never had a, a much of a relationship with it outside of a negative one with what I've experienced in, you know, family dynamics and um, coming from a partially Irish background, like alcohol has a big place in, in, in my family. Um, and I'm kind of the black sheep in that regard around not drinking very much. You've also worked forever in hospitality yeah. and you've shared this with me even just recently that you were typically always on call mm -hmm. during holiday events yeah. at hotels. And so, oh, yeah. yeah so, I mean, that that's been my, my holiday background really. Like, I mean, I didn't spend it with my family or we would do something creative where we would spend, you know, we'd, we'd make Thanksgiving on Black Friday. It would be like the next day or something. Um, but I've always worked um, in restaurants and holidays come with that territory. Um, so it's actually kind of shielded me from, from my family or the challenges that have come up with that because, I mean, I took my own approach and was working. So, um, I was able to witness and, um, help other families celebrate and to really lubricate their experience. Um, and alcohol was, you know, biggest sales are of wine, um, big time in, in that industry. Um, and you know, when I even got my first, um, level of a sommelier, um, certification, that was kind of like a wall that I hit. Cause it's like, I didn't like consuming alcohol, um, working in Michelin star restaurants, like 
I needed to know so much about liquor and beer and wine. And outside of just kind of the the cultural appreciation and the um, the relationship with, you know, growing wine and grapes um, to nature and like the farmer's kind of story, like in that narrative, that was basically the only thing that I really enjoyed about alcohol was the history and the culture and the cultivation. Um, so that's not a lot of people's experience. Many people love alcohol and they find it is a natural lubricant and it allows them to open up and, and to express. And um, what I will say about, you know, witnessing thousands and thousands of people being intoxicated, um, family and mostly strangers, just in my, my background of, of work, um, it's an amplifier. And it will amplify your demons or it'll amplify your joy or it can, whatever, whatever you are, it's going to just expand basically. Um, so that can kind of get challenging when you're in a family dynamic that, you know, people have opinionated opinions about everything. The longer the event goes, maybe the more socially awkward some people are. So they're consuming more to try and like compensate and make themselves feel more comfortable. People get very, like the projections come out across the board. Um, And then if you're intoxicated too, like our ability to really like see things clearly, quite literally kind of goes out the door. So like it's pushing right on our triggers what they're projecting onto us. So I, without saying like blanket statement, like alcohol sucks, it does have a, a dark side, you know, outside of like the physiological impact and consequences that we can talk about. But just emotionally, it makes all those things that you're not supposed to talk about with family, religion, politics, who knows the other ones, it makes those conversations extra interesting or extra challenging. Something that you said earlier in the conversation around like knowing yourself or self-awareness, I think applies directly to this topic right here. You have to know yourself very, very, very well, especially in relation. It doesn't even have to just be with alcohol, but any substance, whether it's pot or tobacco or what you need to really know how it affects you and what is your limit. Alcohol is one of those things. Yes, it's an amplifier. Yes, it's a social lubricant and it's a slippery slope. And there is a point of no return. And so if you know that after two drinks, you don't have the faculties on board to manage yourself in the way that you would like in a potentially contentious environment or do, you know, especially as it's, uh, sometimes it's not even about you, but it's about everybody else. And yes. so it's a slippery slope. So definitely not against it. However, be very mindful and know yourself and also set yourself up for success Mm -hmm. in the sense of, um, like, this is just my personal opinion. I'm not saying, you know, on during the holidays, not to drink any hard liquor at all, but that's when you look at the concentration or just what it, just the, the amount of alcohol in a shot of whiskey, uh, it's very easy to throw down a few shots with the family or, or mixed drinks and not even realize how much you're drinking. And also if somebody else is making it for you. Mm-hmm. Like if, if they make them super strong and you don't know, and then you're just drinking, having conversation, you're, you're socially uncomfortable. And so you're just slamming down more. Yeah. Like I would way rather have someone, you know, maybe just drink some wine. Yeah, quality wine. Quality wine. You bring the wine, bring some, yeah. bring some organic wine. 
Um, because I mean, like cocktails, like you can only imagine like, because you're layering sugar on top of carbonation, on top of like alcohol, on top, like who knows what's in there. Sometimes they put candy and like, it just gets crazy. And when you're speaking, it, it also brings up the aspect of, I mean, we're spiritual people. And um, when you think about substances as energies and consciousness to some degree, you know, like when we're talking about plant medicine or we're talking about these mind altering, you know, states, um, like they call alcohol spirit, spirits for a reason, you know, there Mm. is, and I've, I think this is one of the things that like kind of is a repellent to me for the substance is because I feel like there's a dark force there and I've seen a lot of darkness from the overconsumption of that spirit. Um, and it's interesting, like when you think about the energetics of these things and how they were cultivated, just like with cannabis or with anything, it's like all of these things we're consuming have a, have a history. They have like a story mm. around how they got here. Um, and, you know, not to be too judgmental on like, you know, picky and choosing kind of an elitist perspective of like, this is a good alcohol and this is a bad alcohol, you know, but I do think there's degrees of what you're willing to consume. And from an energetic level, um, I personally have experienced shots of tequila very differently than I have glasses of red wine. That's not to say one's better than the other, but for me, energetically, my experience is much more, um, I feel less consumed by that spirit that is hard alcohol as opposed to just, you know, a a cultural um, appreciation for something in a glass, you know? Uh, Yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to, it's a slippery slope. So know yourself, Mm -hmm. give yourself some boundaries, especially if you, again, you know yourself and then you you either tend to go off the handle or you got this relationship with someone else in the family who goes really heavy on the alcohol and then you've got to be the most mature adult in the room. So recognize that. Before you move on, how do you address that? I mean, I have my experience of, you know, maybe it's not the uncle, but the drunk uncle or like the, the person who's gone too far with alcohol that will inherently influence the entire dynamic of the room like how how would you approach that me personally i mean in general the more watery the room is and we're speaking about in this regard so the more unstable the environment the more stable i need to be Mm -hmm. because like this is also like even when you drink and you go out like just having situational awareness for safety absolutely um, we don't even talk about just like being smart about driving and if you're you know getting an uber or recognizing if you are going to drink fucking don't drive get a hotel room like we have, we have a son now and mm-hmm. I'm more present now than ever of just like, I don't want to drive around the holidays. And like when we were driving for Thanksgiving in the last podcast I recorded, you'll recall on Thanksgiving day, there was like six fast and furious cars yeah. fucking coming around. And I was so tense and angry. And I was like, do these motherfuckers not realize like just the there's families, the, the, in, the there's car. families yeah. in the car, how reckless this is. Mm-hmm. And then you put that at two in the morning after drinking So to answer your question, um, I mean, I honestly think damn near in every situation when I am out 
like now more than ever, especially taking Tim Kennedy's sheepdog response training, protector training, like situational awareness. Like we don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So what I would say is, especially the more watery or loose or unstable the environment is, if there's someone, I ain't going to drink. I'm not going to yeah. drink probably anyway, but I'm literally going to have a, I'm going to have the wine in my hand so I can be social, but I will not, I will not go over that tipping point because not only you don't know what's going to happen in terms of that person, but like you were saying, sways the whole room. And then you, by choice of being there, become the most adult person in the room. Yeah. So there's a responsibility, like with all conscious decisions, you had a responsibility. I had a responsibility in choosing to go there. I may not like what they're doing, but now I have a responsibility as the most aware person in the yeah. room because I've got the most faculties. I need to act accordingly mm -hmm. and essentially chaperone this group without yeah. them even realizing it. That makes me think back to like, I mean, I've had this relationship or lack of a relationship with alcohol for a long time. And I was always the most sober person, you know, kind of like mama bearing my girlfriends or whatever. If we go out to bars. designated driving. And, you know, I have a martial arts background. So that came super naturally to me. It's like, I can see and feel and sense what's going on around me in this bar setting. And I can also see someone I love completely oblivious to what's going on, you know? So I think maybe like the social setting or being out is a different, you know, approach to take versus being, you know, safe in a, in a family home. But I think like holding that, what it, I experience it to be like that masculine container of like, okay, like if everyone else is spinning around, like I'm going to at least like hold this ground, you know? And I think I experienced doing the same thing. Um, I, I love that take on it. If someone was getting out of hand or just, I just felt again, like my values were being compromised uh, and it was, you know, provided, I, I would just fucking, I would leave. Mm. I would literally leave. And if it caused shit in the family, I would have them talk to them tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I would literally set the tone of what I will accept and what I won't accept, especially I'm bringing my son to these yeah. events. So again, there's a fine line and, and there's, every situation is different. But if it got to a point, I might not walk out mid-meal, yeah. but I wouldn't stay for dessert. Yeah. Or I wouldn't, I'd stay for the thing and then I'd just be like, you know, it's uh, I'm really tired. And, uh, and then I would have a conversation just to stay within integrity, you know, when, when this person in the family goes off the handle or says those things, you know, one, two, three times, I'm not okay with that. And, um, and, and I would remove myself. Mm -hmm. And if anyone had a problem with it, that's their problem. Yeah. Um, because it, it, yeah, I, I, now, you know, as a father and as a husband, big part of it is to protect, not just physically protect, but I, you know, yeah, there, there's a line and there's tolerance and family and stuff like that, but there's a certain line and I haven't experienced that line sure. being crossed. But if there was a line that someone crossed as the protector of my family, I'm going to act on it. And that doesn't mean I need to get in their face, sure. but I'm going to remove myself and my family from that, from that perceived threat in that moment. And yeah. I know that might sound intense, is the truth. And also like preserving of, you know, what we aspire these holidays to be about. It's like, we all are in choice. And especially as like the leader and the leaders of our immediate family being you, me and Luca or our children, like we get to choose what we want to, what environments we want to put ourselves and our 
you know, our son into. And I think that that kind of leads to like the idea of having boundaries around like, just because you've always gone to so-and-so's party every Christmas Eve for as long as you can remember, doesn't mean you need to continue to do that forever. Like if there's a, been a boundary that's consistently breached or just it's always kind of like a toxic environment. It's like we get to create new traditions and new healthy experiences. Like I absolutely like we're more attached to, to having happy, healthy holidays than ever having a kid. But like even before that, you know, it's like I think that we we have this tendency as society that like bigger is better, you know, and that like the, you know, we have to be involved in, um, you know, I, I, ideally, you know, you want to be around family, like for the holidays, but like not every year, every time, maybe, you know what I mean? And like, how can we, as like this new generation having a child, like what, what traditions and um, experiences do we want to create here from scratch, you know? And um, especially if, if there was a boundary breached or something disrespectful said, like we get to be on the same team, you know, and we get to create a, a, a different, um, in our version, more healthy environment for, for our family. Absolutely. And on that same thread, to the team, to the point of team, to the point of boundaries being crossed, you shared earlier, there's certain things that you just, what do they say? You just don't talk about, uh, with family or even outside Mm. like, uh, politics, religion, think money. And then maybe in this regard with family, like if there's a history of conflict with a member, like not bringing those conflicts, I want to talk about how do you navigate challenging conversations with family in light of being at a holiday event? Whatever the challenge is, whether it is a past conflict, whether it is talking mm-hmm. about politics, what can you offer or let's lay some groundwork if uh, something contentious does come up? How do you navigate that? Yeah, how do we navigate that? Oh, we. <laughs> um, I think having the we in that is helpful for me because I think I have navigated that differently and maybe less productively in the past, having charged conflicts or conversations um, with family members when I've been on my own, you know, not in partnership. And they've evolved a bit now that you've been there to witness them. Um, I think my my own evolution has occurred in the time that we've been together, but also like, um, I don't, it's not my personal opinion that we should avoid all conflict, like especially challenging conversations. I think that especially in our soul family, you know, like the family we were born, born into, I think we have soul contracts with these people and we're here to teach each other, you know, and sometimes the greatest lessons come from those conflicts and those challenging conversations. Um, And I think that there is an opportunity on both sides for growth there. That doesn't mean that both parties are always willing to bend or shift their opinion or um, maybe some people won't refuse to even talk about it. But I think like if we can start within our own family, building those bridges and sharing our perspective and sharing our heart, um, it's really important because if we can't have those conversations with people that love us pretty much no matter what, then how the hell are we going to have a conversation with society about these you know what I mean? And then everyone just works in their silos and there's no collaborative growth, you know? And I think we stay kind of frozen in this state of, of conflict. Um, 
That said, like there's also unproductive conflict, which doesn't feel good to anybody. And I think that, you know, especially when alcohol is involved in these settings of high pressure and expectation and trigger and all that, um, I think hopefully you've done your work with, you know, your communication style and your ability to listen and your ability to just hold space for someone else's differing opinion. Um, and then what's really been helpful for me, like we, I have this, we have this thing that it's like, whenever I see my dad, um, I love my dad and we're like, you know, very similar in many ways. And, you know, we have some opposing political views and it just so happens that no matter what, whenever I see in the last 10 minutes normally seems to revolve around <laughs> politics. Um, and we joke about it now because we've, we've, over the years have slowly kind of, you know, we've had, it's gone from supercharged and angry to like, I'll cut you out of the will if you vote this way, you know, like it's been pretty nuts all the way to like, now having you in the room, I know my father really respects you. Mm. And, um, you know, you've helped me out a lot because, you know, the fact that you married me gave me a lot of good marks. Like, it's like, <laughs> sweet. Um, so he's a little bit more willing to even, I think, listen to some of my perspectives. He doesn't think I'm just being a defiant child. I mm. actually have, you know, reason and heart behind a lot of these opinions. But what we were talking about before is really like the power of having your teammate, you know, your partner um, there to witness those conflicts. Because I think, you know, if I'm in your family's home, it's just not in my nature to have a conflict with your with your dad, for example, around whatever. If, if he's saying something I disagree with, that I'm not going to challenge him on that. That feels totally wrong to my system. So I stay more neutral in, in that environment. And I think you've done very much the same. Whereas like when you witness my dad and I kind of going at it, you've held space and have really witnessed both of us in that with probably a more regulated system than either of us. Mm. And that's allowed because you and I have such a, um, a practice of reflection and, you know, like I'm always curious to hear like, how was that for you? You know, like, was that uncomfortable seeing me that way or like, um, and you've been able to share a perspective that is like, way more productive, I think, like outside of the conflict. And, and you know, my dad and I are much better about this now, but it's like, we leave it on a note of like, I wouldn't say agree to disagree. That's, I think, a goal to like the people can achieve or, you know, aim for is like, I can, it's still important to share, you know mm. what I mean? Like feeling safe in your body to express what's true for you and like say it respectfully, you know, and like, but we all have the tendency to age regress in those moments, especially with parents or children. Like that's when we're most vulnerable to be like, is this 36-year-old Lauren speaking or is this eight-year-old Lauren speaking, you know? Um, but I think having a partner to support or like, you know, if things got really crazy, you know, to hopefully back me up or, you know, interject or, you know, just protect me, but also to just be like, hey, like, I really, I, I know you and I love you. And I saw that you handled this different than you have in the past. Like, I'm proud of you. Or, um, you know, maybe like something you witnessed in my dad, like a point that, you know, he's like, oh, I didn't notice 
or I didn't, I hadn't considered that perspective before. So that's been really helpful for me. Um, what about from your side of things? Well, first, just want to take a pause and just want to just express gratitude for you being willing to share that mm. um, because that's the truth mm. and that's real. And um, I think that's in whoever, you know, has people are listening to this, they're going to have their own version. If you've got parents, which we all have, uh, we unconsciously, to your point, age regress. And also, oftentimes, parents uh, age, well, they age regress too. They're people too. But oftentimes, they're in these moments of heatedness or contention, they often treat us as a former version of yes. ourselves. Yeah. 20-year-old Lauren or whatever, unconsciously oftentimes. So I just want to express gratitude for that because we all we all experience that. And as a third person in the room, I can see that and I can feel that. And so I want to offer just some perspectives as the partner and mm-hmm. the partner observing or the husband or whatever, the partner observing. And one thing that I've reminded myself is... I think having compassion for both of you yeah, and mm-hmm. just recognizing like there's a lot of history here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of patterning. And I think oftentimes the, the conversations start like very respectful and mindful. And then all of a sudden there's a point where it's like, again, that unconscious age regression, you get triggered and like you're more reactive than responsive and that's natural. And what I've always tried to do, not always, but more and more as I've gotten to witness you guys is to first recognize and have compassion that you guys are, you know, even having a difficult discussion mm-hmm. and like, it's fucking awesome. And, uh, so just having compassion and acknowledgement and celebration for you being willing to go into that and, and trying a different approach or trying to be, you know, uh, more mindful or whatever. I think it's really important to recognize that even though like as a third person in the room, we may be able to see and pick up on the age regression or that. But if I was in my position of that, it'd be very hard for me to not unconsciously age regress. So I've tried to reflect within myself and recognize like, wow, she's, she's really trying here and she's doing the best she can. So I think that's the first point. Uh, Also, the second point to what you were saying around uh, being neutral. Now that's just the way I feel best moving around this. And I know you do too, but like, I'm really going to be, if I'm going to insert myself, (laughs) it better be goddamn productive, purposeful, and intentional. I am not the person to start shit in a family. Just it's just not my nature. Yeah, I don't think that helps. Like, I'm not trying to like, I, I love respect your father. And so I'm not, that's just my approach. I'm not going to insert myself and pull a little stance against it. Like, that's just not the way I want to do it. Thinking like, here's the thing we have to think about. Yes, honor where we are in that moment, but also play the long game. Yeah. Think about the long game. And so I'm not going to do that unless it's absolutely necessary or if I can offer a perspective to him or to the both of you and have it be, like something with the intention of being productive yeah. or expressing the the validity or the acknowledgement on both sides. Lauren, I see where you're coming from and maybe trying to reflect back in ways that you might have not been able to express in that moment to your father. And then also reflecting your father, 
I see where he's coming from and this, this, and this. Now here's where I see both of you guys and would you be open to considering this? Yeah. That being said, going back now to the team thing, Mm. if you are ever disrespected, like legit disrespected or anyone, your, your parents don't do this, but like if anybody talked to you called you a bitch or called you, uh, I don't know, called you something horrible, I would step in. Yeah. I would absolutely put that, nip that shit in the butt right away. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's, that's a crossing of the line. However, I will allow the conversation and the conflict and the debate and the discussion Mm -hmm. to go. And again, being mindful of how and when or not to insert myself, but it better be for a damn good reason and not just to get my opinion out. Like it's, it's, it's going to be for a reason. Uh, however, I will always have your back. And mm-hmm. if there's not, not just with family, but with anybody, if someone disrespected you in a way that like, I'm not okay with that's, that's just not going to fly. Yeah, I'm going to call them. We're going to leave and, and we'll handle this when, when the situation is cooler. Yeah. Cause you can always say and recognize your own boundaries in any argument, uh, as where as we can be to say, you know, obviously this has gotten to a point where none of us, both of us in the situation are able to respond rationally and in a grounded way. Let's table this right now mm-hmm. and let's come back to it another time. Or let's put a pin in this because right now I'm unable to approach this with a level head. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly do that in any discussion. Um so, uh, yeah, that's the biggest thing when it comes to navigating challenging conversations to, ref- to echo back what you said. I don't think it's not about, it's definitely not about not having them. Mm-hmm. It's being very aware of where you are in the moment, being aware of those contentious ones, being aware if there's alcohol involved, yeah. like, do you want to get into this? Is this family event when everyone's drinking the right time to talk about a loan that went bad yeah. in the family or money that was not paid? It's like that I would rather. That's just drama too. It's like ego bullshit. Talk, talk about it yeah. before, have a conversation before and just say like, hey, I know we're coming. This has been on my heart, on my mind. Would you be open to having a phone call, a Zoom call, meeting for coffee? Uh, because I need to air this out as opposed to when you're around 30, 40 people socially uncomfortable. You don't know when the right time is. You can't, you got kids uh, yeah. latched to your leg wanting you to open presents. And then you got this beef with a family relative. Like, yeah, just be mindful if you open that container, you better be able to finish it in hopefully a productive and intentional way. And if not, then real time, you got to be able to pivot. And just the last thing on that, what I've noticed in year, it's an it's amazing ability. And I think it's like a really important skill, especially as coaches to develop, not that we're coaching our family members by any means, but like your ability, especially when you're witnessing, for example, like a charge dialogue between me and somebody. The only time I've heard you really share at those times, like outside, unless you're in the conversation is with a question. And like, Mm. it's amazing how a question can fucking check somebody like, and also just stump them. Like if they're on some like belligerent rant, whatever, just like charge narrative that they've repeated however many times, if you ask the right question, yeah. That shit's going to just be neutralized, you know, and, you know, not to like embarrass anybody, but it's like, it's a really good check, checkmate, you know what I mean? To be, And it's also potentially really 
a reflective growth opportunity too, because if it's the right question, then it's like, holy fuck, like I've gone 48 years of my life and I've never like been able to answer that or I've ever asked myself that. So I really appreciate your ability to ask heartfelt questions to me and to whomever it is, because I think that that's a very respectful and laser sharp way to, to communicate. Thank you. Yeah. It's really, again, I always have your back and also, especially if I love and care for the the person in the, in the room as well, in addition to you, truly trying to have the betterment of all in mind. Yes. And like, that's, I think that's a big thing. Um, you know, I know, uh, we're kind of heading towards the the end of the time here. We've got Luca in the other room where my, my parents are watching him, but there's at least one more topic I want to go into at least for today. And it has to do with loss or mm. grief. Uh, like, for example, if there's someone who passes in the family or, I don't know, a, a sibling or a son or a daughter isn't able to make the event, they're in a different country. Uh, and again, or someone legit dies and it's the first Christmas without grandma or grandpa. Like when it comes to loss and grief with someone not being there, uh, or potentially you don't even have family in this country. Yeah. Your family's at home, so you don't have anyone to spend it with. What can you offer in terms of how to approach the holidays in light mm-hmm. of a loss or someone uh, actually not being present uh, with you? Yeah, that's really been weighing on my heart and in you know intimate conversations I've had with, with friends and loved ones. Um, and it's, I think it's... Um, it's a sensitive subject to approach when you're not dealing with it per se personally. Um, it feels funky to like, quote, you know, offer advice for something I haven't navigated. Um, literally, you know, currently my family is healthy and alive, you know, and I do have my biological family and, you know, my extended family with your family. So, and that said, from just like an empathetic level of what Christmas, what the holidays represent and just like throughout life too. I mean, these are, these are, that's devastating whether or not it's Christmas, you know, but I think that like, it's just so pressing on like, this was my dad's holiday, you know, and this is the first time he's not going to be here for that. Like, I just want to acknowledge like the depth of, of grief that, people are feeling around that. And, um, and there's no words to, to make that go away, nor should it go away. You know, like that is when we say like, you know, feel to heal. It's like grief. I think there's so much beneath grief or actually I think grief is beneath so much really. And like, I think that we will, I mean, there will be a season of my life that I will face that grief, you know, like, our family won't be here forever. And um, so I'll kind of project myself into that position of, you know, I I feel from a human level, like what that could be like. And, um, and so I really want to acknowledge it as like, that's as tough as it gets. um, I think emotionally to feel isolated or grief or longing for that, like, familiar love of, of a loved one. And, you know, not to sound cliche around like, what's a substitute for that? Cause I don't think there really is one necessarily. Like, I think that's a season of, 
exactly what life has presented, you know, and that's where where our growth will ultimately be and and our ability to like fully just appreciate and have gratitude when that's not the case, you know, and when that grief has softened a little bit or when we've found the new partner, you know, and you're not going through a breakup or, you know, I think that that light and shadow will reflect back to like, wow, like I feel at every cell of my body, the gratitude I have for the abundance of my life right now. And like, I think that there's you know, we have blood family and we have chosen family. And, you know, even in the culture of hospitality, you know, it's a very like communal culture and um, people who work all holiday long and stuff, you know, so you kind of find these little like sub hubs of maybe, you know, in, in hospitality, it's like, that's your new family is basically like who you celebrate, you know, the holidays with after the shift is over or whatever. Um, But we can also find that in our friendships. I think the deepest love you can have really like is rooted in friendship. Like a best friend, like there's, there's no deeper love, you know? Like, I mean, I feel like the deepest friendship with you and like, you know, the passionate love is like icing on the cake, but like my love for you exceeds the, the romantic, you know, infatuation love. Um, so I would hope that, and, you know, being in a place of quote unquote abundance with, I mean, and we, to be real, like we have our shit too, like when it comes to like, you know, family dynamics or whatever, like little dramas here and there, like over the years, there's for sure been times where I've not been super stoked to be at my family's for a holiday, you know, like I've had that season, um, maybe not from like loss of a partner or or a loved one perspective, but there's been seasons where I haven't been super stoked on the holidays for sure. Um, but to now be in this place, it's like Luca's first Christmas, I feel like we have this like, like we're really excited right now, you know? And so how can I extend that umbrella of love and community and um, warmth to somebody who might not have that this year? You know what I mean? So I think that how it takes a village to bring people under our wing, you know, and, and we're not the ones hosting our holidays quite yet. Like I'm sure in a few years, that'll be like different. It'll be at our house and we can make whatever traditions we want. But I know that, um, you know, your family's always extended invitations. And like, I think that that's a really loving way to, you know, just scan your, your, like, I think it's important for us to be self-aware and also aware of people around us, you know, and if you see somebody that's struggling, um, or even if you don't, and you, it's, it's something you'd, you'd love to spend time with them. It's like, extend the invitation. Or if it's not on the day of, like, how can you have like a little mini ceremony, a Friendsgiving? Like sometimes those are the most like just purely loving experiences are Friendsgivings because everyone's there. There's no obligation. It's like, you're there because you want to be there. So, um, I think that that's a really, you know, it, it, it's not, they're not the same and maybe they're not equal to like spending it with your dad, you know, if it's your first year without him. But I mean, there's, hopefully there's pockets of love in your life and to like embrace those um, or to reach out the hand to somebody. Um, I think that's really important for all of us to like consider like, do a scan around your community and like Mm. see where you can lift them up. Hell yeah. 
Man, you shared that so beautifully. <laughs> oh, um, I mean, maybe the only things I could either add or just reinforce is around when you were sharing around grief. Um, it's a very healthy and normal process. Mm-hmm. And I think even experiencing the grief or allowing oneself permission to experience the grief is sometimes one of the healthy things things that we can do um, to honor that person and to mm-hmm. honor ourselves. So um, just recognizing that there's nothing wrong with grieving and it's very mm-hmm. healthy and very necessary in this life, mm-hmm. whether it's actually the physical loss of someone or even the transition of an identity of how people knew us before and sure. how what we're doing now. So it can be metaphoric, it can be physical, an actual physical uh, grieving process of someone passing or transitioning. But um, yeah, giving ourselves the permission and honoring ourselves and allowing ourselves to grieve. Mm. And let's say also that, you know, here's just a few tips that come up. And I've shared this with clients and even at retreats. Uh, of ways you can, if if you wanted to bring in the energy or the thoughtfulness of that family member that has passed, mm-hmm. you know, you can say a prayer, yeah. you know, before eating and uh, and and mention their name and and say a blessing uh, for the meal that you have for the people that are around you, and taking a moment to remember uh, this person that means a lot to you, and and maybe even inviting everyone. Uh, whoever would like to share of, Mm -hmm. is there anybody that we would like to pray for? We've done this in the sweat lodge. Uh, And someone will just call out a name, I'm praying for blank. Mm -hmm. And then there'd be a one, two, three seconds of silence and we would hold that prayer for that person. And, and then the next person would share. And it's just like a very beautiful and powerful energy to, because their, their physical bodies may not hear, be here. But what we do have is the memories and what they represent to us. And so I do think it's important, especially for those people we love, care, and have left an impact in us to carry that legacy on through even a moment of a prayer or blessing, calling their spirit in with us. Um, And the gratitude, like what comes up from if like prayer isn't a word that people attach to, it's like, it's an offering of gratitude. And mm -hmm. I mean, like if I think of like, if it's like a, pivotal person. I mean, every person's important in family, but like, say it's the grandmother of, you know, they were like the cornerstone of that family. It's like the gratitude. It's like, we wouldn't, all of us, can we give thanks for the person that allowed us all to be here? You know, if it wasn't for, for Nona, then we wouldn't be here, you know, or whoever that person is. But just like, that's the beautiful thing about the legacy of a family is it's lineage. And it's like, without one link, the entire thing would be different. So I love just the collective thought and love. And if it's prayer that you uh, you connect with or whatever, but bringing that energy into like a moment and to a practice and to a communal exchange. And also um, if it's something more in solitude, um, if it's lighting a candle for that person, if it's blessing your own meal, if it's a meal you're having in solitude, it's like, what's your, what, what practice feels most natural to your heart to give yourself and that spirit in that moment? You know, that can be a very intimate um, thing as well, or it can be with your family. The candle is such a beautiful way. We use that a lot, um, or we recommend it a lot as well when someone is physically transitioned as the remembrance 
for that person. And, and it could be present during the holiday, but also this is an invitation to not wait for the holiday time to um, need to call them in or to have that, you know, yeah. even just having a picture up in your home. If it's someone who really, you really miss and you really had a lot of love for a mentor, a family member, a friend, you know, have a somewhere in your house where you have a picture of them, yeah. light a candle for them. And so uh, you're actually working with it in process uh, as opposed to having a big event happen. And, you know, again, I would still recommend giving yourself the time and the permission and the space to grieve, mm-hmm. um, but do whatever feels good to you. Journal, yeah. give yourself that permission and that gift and find a way to, uh, that feels appropriate for you to, to honor them. Well, sweetheart, this has been a beautiful, mm-hmm. super insightful conversation. I've really enjoyed dropping in with you. And, and as we bring this to conclusion, as always, is there, you know, any, we've talked about so much stuff today, <laughs> but as people are, are moving into their holidays and already, you know, in the holiday season, is there any concluding words or any lasting mm-hmm. theme or lasting words you want to share with anyone? You know, just kind of how we opened it around like tradition and loyalty and um, those conversations. I think like with anything in life, it is what we make it. And like we all have the permission to redefine and rewrite what holidays represent to us, what they look like, um, who we spend time with, who we, if, you know, if solitude's what's calling that year, then, you know, just giving yourself the gift of reflection with your heart and really tuning into that through meditation or from whatever whatever form of self-reflection that you practice and give yourself that gift of like your inner truth, Mm. you know? Um, It doesn't have to look like how it's always looked, you know? And if it's been traditionally like really challenging, it's like maybe that's an old story. Maybe it doesn't have to be that heavy or maybe this year is like it's always been your favorite time of year and you were hit with like some devastation this year and you know it's gonna look different like let that be okay um I just think like like every day we're potentially new people we're not bound to the person we were yesterday we're not bound to the person we were last year five years ago yeah to just give ourselves permission to transform and transcend and celebrate in the way that feels best to our heart. Mm, Thank you, sweetheart. I think the only thing that I would say reflecting on our conversation is to know yourself in different ways, whether it's again with alcohol or those contentious conversations and uh, to know yourself heading into the Mm -hmm. holiday, to honor your needs, to honor your values, to be a team. And so uh, inviting in again that that reflection and knowing yourself at a deeper level and bringing that self awareness into uh, the holidays. I love you, sweetie. Love Thank you, you so much for chatting with me yeah. and uh, sharing with the community, and uh, wishing everyone a beautiful and hopeful holiday. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.